Um, hello, church. My name is Juna, and we will now be reading today's passage from 2 Samuel 18:31-33. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. This is the reading of God's word. My, my senior in high school, um, I had a zero period, and that, I know that's a weird transition, but um, I had a zero period, and uh, the, this was my second high school that I was going to, uh, and it was three cities over from where I live, so I had to wake up at five in the morning every day uh, to drive over to a, a weird city called Villa Park to go to my school. And uh, so every morning, my mom would wake up, and she would make breakfast for me, right? And I took that for granted, but she would wake up before me to cook breakfast so that I can leave uh, by 5.30 in the morning. And this one particular morning, she, uh, she was awake, but she wasn't making me breakfast. And I was like, what the heck? Like, well, she was on the phone, and she was speaking to somebody, and it seemed like she was, they were having a very concerned conversation. And I assumed that it was a relative from Korea, and maybe something happened with a family member. But after she got off the phone, uh, she looked a little troubled, so I said, uh, hey, like, what's going on? And, and she began to tell me that uh, one of my friends um, had just been sent away to a lockdown. So I think these things, these lockdowns are still in existence, but in the 90s, um, you know, there became kind of like this rumor within the Korean American community that if you have a, a son that is not behaving well or a child that is not behaving well, you can send them away to this lockdown camp and then they come back completely rehabilitated. And so uh, uh, one of my friends was sent away through this. Uh, another uh, acquaintance was also sent away, and, and they came back, and their behavior seemed to have improved. So uh, one of my friends, uh, he was woken up at 3 in the morning, uh, and he was essentially kidnapped and taken away to Utah, and where he spent about you know, four to five months in this lockdown, basically a prison for underage uh, minors, where they would be rehabilitated from their behavioral issues. And... Um, my mom told me this, and the first thing that came to my mind was like, what the heck, like, what kind of parent would do this? And then the next thought was like, oh, I better watch my back. You know, like, like hey, this is, I'm, I'm at this high school because I got kicked out of my first high school. If I don't, you know, if I don't shape up, this thing might happen to me as well. And uh, my, eventually my, my friend came back, and when he came back, he didn't look the same. Uh, there was something definitely uh, traumatic or something different about him. Um, at first, he became a little bit better in terms of his behavior. He tried to, uh, you know, not really hang out with us and not do some of the uh, knucklehead things that we did. But it was not too long afterwards uh, that he just went full, you know, back fully into alcoholism and, and drug use. And, uh, and we were definitely not, um, you know, helpful in that matter as well. But out of all my friends, um, he was the one that had it the worst. Uh, you know, it was... It was not long after where he you know, was living on the streets. He was, you know, you know in petty crime. And, and the whole time, you know, I was thinking, like, how could his parents have done something like this to him? You know, and, and the more I thought about it, I realized that what he was struggling with was probably mental health issues. He was, probably, he was depressed all the time. You know, we used to just kind of make fun of him and say that he was emo and be like, oh, why is he, like, always, you know, acting this way? But he, he, he had real d uh, deep issues. And for his parents, they had no other idea of what, how to handle it 
other than sending him away uh, to a lockdown. And it was just a difficult situation all around. And, and now as I've gotten older and I think about my parenting and, and, and my children, I realize just how difficult parenting is and how oftentimes the people that can break our hearts um, th- the most are our very own children, right? There, there are things that our, our children do and, 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 you know, hey, youth kids, like it wasn't planned that this would be the family worship today, okay? So just letting you know, the Holy Spirit can work in very mysterious ways. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, even when we are growing up and we, uh, we think about our relationship with our parents, we realize that oftentimes not only, you know, for us, we feel like, oh, our parents have wronged us and they break our hearts and they fail us, but oftentimes we fail to recognize the fact that we often fail our parents as well. And we grieve our parents and the difficulties uh, that they go through. And some of us uh, in your age range, if you have children that are a little older, we might be dealing this on a daily basis, right? Uh, my, my oldest daughter is just now in junior high or middle school. And uh, uh, sometimes I go, man, she's so mean to me. Like, I get, it, it's, it's kind of, it's very difficult, right? So today we're going to look at the story of David and his son Absalom and the pain and suffering that David endured as a parent and father, and just see how David's trust in the sovereignty of God during a time when he has absolutely no control helps him through the difficulty of a severed relationship with his son. So, that, you know, we read the kind of the end of this story, and, and for the first point, I'm going to be kind of dealing with the, the anguish of parenting and kind of laying out the story of David and his son Absalom. Uh, so the, da- the story of David and Absalom begins in 2 Samuel chapter 13, uh, and it ends in chapter 18 with, with Absalom's death, which we read about. Uh, but to kind of give you a, a highlight of what's happening, starting in chapter 13, uh, we are met, uh, you know, we are introduced to Absalom. And for, uh, for David, Absalom is the son of his wife, Macca, who it was a purely political uh, marriage. Uh, Macca was the daughter of the king of Geshur, and in order for the kingdom of Israel to kind of, uh, uh, kind of gain this tribute or a, another nation under its, uh, its power, um, they had to, to wed. So David already had a wife, but he marries uh, Macca, and one of his sons that, that's produced from that marriage is Absalom. And you would think that the child of a marriage, a purely political reason that you would think that David would not have that much affection towards his son, but David, he had absolutely, uh, just an absolute unconditional love for his son Absalom. He loved Absalom as much as he loved all of his other children. And, and we see this love in just the, the affection and the grief that, and, and, the, and the love that he has for, for uh, all of his sons. Now, Absalom, there is a, a, you know, kind of you read the story of Absalom and you see that there are, there are glimpses of him being kind and, and gentle and caring, but there's also a, a kind of deep-rooted sin within this man. So the story begins where um, Amnon, who is the other son of David from a different mother, um, he has a crush on his half-sister Tamar, who is the younger sister of Absalom. So right away you're like, whoa, this is like, this is some Game of Thrones stuff, like incestuous, like Korean drama, whatever. And it just seems wrong, right? Amnon, he is so infatuated with his sister, half-sister that he, he's like, he, he can't get out of bed. He, he is struck with just like, he, he's like just simping for, you know, like, did I use that word right? He's just simping like crazy, right? That's all he can do. And so one of his other brothers like, hey, I have an idea. Tell, tell them that you're sick. And that the only thing that can make you feel better is if your half-sister gives you some soup, okay? Um, so 
he, he, he creates this, and basically he uses this opportunity to rape his sister, and then after he rapes her, instead of, <clears throat> instead of honoring her by saying like, okay, hey, I'll marry you, which is still kind of weird, he throws her out into the street. He defiles her, basically ruining her life, ru uh, ruining her chances of ever getting married to somebody else because she is now someone who is defiled. Now, Absalom hears of this and is absolutely angered by it. And you see the kindness in Absalom in that he takes his own sister in. He, he, he cares for her. He financially provides for her. Uh, he takes care of her child. And yet, you see the anger in him because he desires to take revenge on his half-brother Amnon. So what does he do? He plans a party, and then he tells all of his brothers, hey, come to this sheep-shearing festival. It must have been like a wild party, you know, just like you, you cut sheep and then you just drink and have fun and eat some sheep or lamb or whatever, right? He does this, and then he tells his servants, and another word translates servants is like warriors or, 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 or mighty men. Uh, he, so he tells within his home these soldiers, basically, hey, once Amnon is drunk, I want you to kill him. And that's exactly what happens. He enacts his revenge by killing his, his half-brother. Now, David hears of this, and he is absolutely devastated, right? Because, I mean, think about it. Put yourself in the position. If you are a parent, put yourself in a situation where one of your children murders another, right? And, and, the, and the turmoil and the drama and, the tr and, and just all the, the hardships that come along with it. And now David is absolutely heartbroken, and it says in uh, 2 Samuel 13, 39, it says, The spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted by Amnon since he was dead. Right? So it, it, in this passage, you know, what, what, uh, what the author is, is really getting at is the fact that King David, he was so heartbroken, he wanted to go out and do something you know, and, and, and mend the relations with Absalom, but he couldn't. And now as you read on, what we read is that King David is, abs is in an, a state of depression and he can't do anything to the point where he's not able to fulfill his duty as the king of Israel. Now, one of the duties as the king of Israel is that when the people of Israel would come with cases or, or they need kind of some sort of judgment, the king would go out and, and it, you know, he would kind of advise like, hey, this is what you need to do or this is fair and, and do that kind of stuff. And this is one of the ways that the king of Israel would be able to be a part of the community of the people and the people would therefore have a heart for the king of Israel. But David was so depressed because of what Absalom had done that he was unable to do this job. Now, Absalom, he took this upon himself as a way to win the hearts of the people of Israel to undermine his father. So what he did was he would hang out in front of the gate of Jerusalem, and whenever the people of Israel would come with certain cases, Absalom would be the one to give, to, to give advice, to give judgment, and, and to actually judge the people as they were coming with different cases. And because of this, the people of Israel started gaining a, a heart and a, and a desire to, to back Absalom instead of David. Now, once Absalom had gained enough power, enough clout, enough momentum, he decided to now overthrow his father, King David, and take over his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if, if my son tried to overthrow me, like, you know, just, it, this isn't a kingdom, and, and I'm not the king here, but let's just say, you know, Isaac, mo most likely will be Jacob. Let's say Jacob gets a little older, and then he starts, like, talking to the members and, like, you know, saying, like, hey, like, hey, like, what's, what's, what's my dad even doing? He's, like, just, you know, 
chilling at home doing nothing. I, you know, like, I'll help you guys, you know, like, and he's like going and visiting your work and like praying for you guys and, you know, like, and like, you know, counseling you guys. And then all of a sudden, like he has all the momentum and like all the backing of like the majority of the church. And he's like, hey, I'm the new head pastor now, you know, like, like that would, that would destroy me, right? Like that would be absolutely heartbreaking. And this is what David is going through. The absolute pain and anguish of the, of the drama created within his own children, right? And, and to the point where he is absolutely devastated. He can't even get out of bed. He can't even do his job properly. Uh, uh, he, he's really literally being held up by his generals. Uh, the, the wise counsel around him is, 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 is the one, the only thing that is keeping him from actually making, uh, you know, uh, detrimental decisions because of his emotions. Now, when we think about kind of the situation, we, we realize just how uh, relatable these Bible characters are. Oftentimes we think of Bible characters as, as heroes, as people of like really strong faith, but it, it, when we see King David, uh, you know, a man after God's own heart, someone that we look up to, the man who at a young age was able to, uh, you know, bring down Goliath. And yet here he is, a father who has absolutely no control, who is absolutely devastated, who doesn't even know what to do to lead his family in the ways that would be successful and, and right. Now, when we look at this relationship between David and Absalom and David and Amnon and, and, and his other children, what we see is really David being triggered by his own sins, right? Now, for those that are parents, I, you know, maybe you guys can relate with me here. Uh, the moment we have children, oftentimes we see them as potential to redeem our past failures and, 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 and faults, right? When I, when I had kids, I was like, hey, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm going to do differently that's going to make my kids way better than me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, their, their life is going to be awesome, you know, and, and, and we just kind of, we, we kind of see them as, as a way of redemption, right? Uh, but oftentimes, we, when they actually start growing up, even at a very young age, you're like, wait a second, like, why are they such bastards? You know, like, why, why are they so evil? You know, like, why are they so greedy? You know, like, and, and these, these, you know, things pop up, and we get triggered by that. When we think about what Amnon did. He raped his half-sister. What does that remind you of David? Taking advantage of a, a powerless woman in Bathsheba, right? What did Absalom do? He conspired to murder for the sake of, of saving the honor of his own, you know, his, own uh, his family. What did David do? He conspired to kill his best friend, someone who was like a brother to him, to save his own honor. Right? And later what we see in the actions of Absalom trying to overthrow David is, is that David is reminded of, of, of his dealings with King Saul as he became the new king. Right? The pain and anguish that we experience in our parenthood is often the spirit of God directing us to deal with our own sins and struggles that we have not dealt with. You know, oftentimes... Um, especially in kind of our young adult age, uh, before marriage, we think that a lot of our struggles and a lot of the things that we have to deal with are things that we matured out of and that we're fine. And, like, and, and that's why I'm ready to you know, move forward with marriage and have kids. And the moment you get married and the moment you have kids, you realize, wait a second, all these things that I failed to deal with at a certain age, the things that I thought I had matured out of are actually still, re still very present in my heart. 
And oftentimes God uses our children to kind of trigger those things, to bring them to the surface so that we'll be able to deal with it in a way that is honoring to God and, and, and a way that is healthy. And that is um, often the difficulty of parents, uh, of parenthood. So what, what is the solution or, or what is kind of the, the, the positive thing that we can see from this story? Uh, what we see from David is that he's able to release full control to a sovereign God. Okay? When we think about David as someone who is a, a man after God's own heart, uh, it, with all of his faults and all of his shortcomings, one thing that is very clear is that David trusted in God's sovereignty and that he was able to trust in God's control. Now, one of the most difficult things for me as a parent is, is having to acknowledge that my children are free will beings and, uh, and that they may not behave exactly how I want them to and that there will be situations in their lives that where I will be completely powerless to control. Now, um, for any of us here, like even, you know, what, what are some things that you regret not listening to your parents about? Right? As you get older, there are certain things that are like, hey, my parents were actually right about that, right? Like, there's so many things I regret. Number one, like, I wish I took piano lessons seriously. I, I, I took a year of piano lessons, and I didn't learn a single, I know chopsticks, that's it. I refused to learn piano. Why? Because I thought it wasn't cool. But piano is so cool, you know? Now I'm telling my kids, hey, piano's cool, you know? Um, I wish I took golf seriously. My parents put me in golf lessons when I was like six years old, and I would just fight them to the, to the death because I just wanted to stay home and watch Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, for those that are young, Saturdays, you would have to sit in front of a TV, and there was cartoons that would play, and that was it. Like, it wasn't like, you know, stream like whenever you wanted. You had to watch it at a certain time. If you miss a cartoon on that set, you don't know when that episode will play again, okay? And I didn't want to miss any Saturday morning cartoons. I didn't want to miss Saturday morning cartoons, and I wanted to play Nintendo. But instead, my parents were like, no, you're going to go to a golf lesson. I wish, I will be so much better at golf now. Like, you know, like if you, if you enjoy golf now, oftentimes, you're probably thinking, man, I wish I took golf lessons seriously, right? Because you'd be so much better now. Uh, um, and, and, I'm, and with that knowledge, I'm like, hey, my kids are going to be different. They're going to be way better than me. So I, I put them in a golf camp two years ago, and I was like, this is going to be the beginning of like their PGA and LPGA journey. Um, and so after every, every you know, I, I, I picked them up. And I'm like, so how'd you like it? They're like, it sucked. I was like, what? I, I, I got so angry. I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you're going to love, and they, they hated it. And I'm like, oh, I can't control that. Right? Even though I wish I could, I can't. Right? Uh, and even just later on in life, there's so many regrets that we have, right? Things that we should have listened to other people's advice. Um, my, my college roommate, he, he was doing jujitsu, and he's like, hey, Jay, you should do jujitsu with me. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, like, I wish I did it way back then because I'd be so much better now, right? Even with, like, working out, or, like, you know, if you just did it earlier, it's like, why didn't I listen, right? And you think, now that I'm older, I have the opportunity to redeem all of my regrets, and I'm going to portray that on my children, and they will do exactly what I know is best for them. And only if they, like... Like, seriously, hey, if you guys are under 18 years old, if you literally did everything your parents told you to do, your life will be awesome, okay? <laughs> it will be so comfortable. And then later on in life, you'll be like, oh, man, they were absolutely right, you know? Uh, but the reality is, is that if you're under 18, you don't want to listen to that. You want to be your own person. Right? And, and, and that's the reality. Uh, and as a, as a parent, we have to understand that there are certain things that we cannot control, there are certain situations that we have to release our control to the sovereignty of God. I wish 
my kids would just do everything that I told them to do because then they would be like submission machines in jiu-jitsu. They would be like, you know, piano savants. They would be golf, like, you know, their acumen for golf would be amazing, you know, and, and they would just be awesome, you know? Like they would be what I think I am, you know what I mean? Like, or what I think I could be, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind of what we want to do with our children, right? But we have to release that control. And there's no other feeling as difficult and painful as not being in control over the lives of our children for their benefit. As a parent, the moment we feel that our kids are headed towards the, uh, the wrong direction or we feel that there's things that, we, you know, that, that, you know, that they might not do well in or excel in and, and, and we feel that we are absolutely uh, have lost control over that situation, there is nothing more anxiety-driven and, and stressful than that. Uh, um, you know, some of you guys are, uh, you know, experiencing this, the, uh, you know, like trying to prepare your, your children and your students for, for college. And, you know, and you're like, man, like, why can't they, you know, just do this? And you're like, it, it, and they have to submit. I can't submit it. Like, they got to submit the essay. You know, like, they got to want this. And you're like, I, you know, and it just, it just drives you nuts. Right? Because we want to have a certain level of control of certain things. And especially when we think about our kids, even if they're little, even if they're young. We want them to experience goodness. We want them to, to benefit from, from our experience. We want them to be able to utilize the resources that we have and the privilege that we have so that they can grow and, and, and be you know, well-adjusted human beings. And the very moment we feel like we have no grasp on that, we're just filled with anxiety. We're filled with pain. Now, for all of David's faults as a parent, because he, he was imperfect, I mean, think about it. Your son just raped your other daughter and there was no rebuke from David. There was no action from David. Your other son now killed that son. And again, no rebuke, no discipline, no calling out. All he did was like, oh, my son, Absalom. You know, like he was kind of, uh, uh, you know, like when it comes to disciplining his children, it was absent. He was, he was not the strong man and father that they needed at the time. And if you can think about kind of the situation of David, like if you're the son of David, it's, it's like you're a Kardashian, right? You're famous. Everyone knows you. And you can do and get away with whatever you want. And the only way that you can actually be in line is if your father would be strong enough to be able to discipline you and guide you towards holiness and godliness. And yet David wasn't able to do that. Now, with all of his faults, one thing that we see in David is that he was able to release control and trust in God's sovereignty in the most difficult and dark moments of his life. Now, while this, basically, while Absalom is overthrowing his kingdom, while Absalom is, 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 is you know, conniving to, to kill his father and take the kingdom of God, David has an opportunity to take the Ark of the Covenant with him. As David is fleeing Jerusalem, because now Absalom and, and his army is coming, um, the priests come out and they bring out the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read it, uh, but he, basically, you know, David says, hey, take the ark back to the city. And he says, um, you know, whatever seems, so the king stood at the side of the gate. Sorry, wrong, wrong passage. He took the, um, and he said, hey, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and its dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. 
The Ark of the Covenant was the greatest weapon in warfare ever imagined in man. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant signified the presence of God. Uh, white, uh, you know, entire armies were wiped out because of the Ark of the Covenant. And David had the opportunity to take the Ark of the Covenant with him as he fled Jerusalem. But instead, he tells his priest, take it back to the city. If God wills, I will see that Ark again. He has released full control of the circumstances into the sovereignty of God. And even later on, when he is, uh, you know, writes a psalm in, in Psalm 3, uh, he basically is like, hey, God, like whatever you do, you know, you're, the, you're my shield, protect me. And then it says this, it says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I don't know about you guys, but when there are situations where I feel like I have absolutely no control, that is filling me with stress and anxiety, the last thing I want to do is sleep. The thing that I want to do most is try to control the situation, figure out what I need to do, figure out what are the next steps. And what David says is that he slept. Even while Absalom, his own son, was trying to kill him, he slept because he believed in the sovereignty and trusted in God fully to the point where he says, he is the one who sustains me. Now, for us, oftentimes, when we think of our parenting, you know, especially in this culture, we, we think about it so much in terms of, uh, of measurables and performance metrics, right? Because uh, you know, that's what our job did, it, this, it needs from us, right? And, and especially for coders or tech, like everything is a formula, right? If I do this, then this should come out. If I do this, then this should be produced. And we look at our children in that way and we think as long as we follow a certain formula, then they should come out the way we want them to. So we think as long as they get good grades plus extracurricular activities plus a little bit of music and then, a, you know, like a little bit of, uh, a, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus only when it's convenient, then they should come out to be highly emotionally intelligent, well-rounded human beings with a lot of good skills and personal skills, and they'll be able to get into college and be successful and, and you know, our lives will be good. You know, all that requires is, is our control. But what God is calling us to is to release that control and to trust in his sovereignty. This last point is that what we see in this story of David and, and, and Absalom is really the unconditional love of God the Father. Right? Um, now, David, uh, as a human father, he was unable to give the proper discipline and correction that his son needed. Right? Discipline is very important. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6 says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when, he reproved, uh, when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Right? Oftentimes it's hard uh, you know, to be hard on our children. Right? Uh, you know, like especially in this day and age, we want to be positive. Like we, want to be, we want to be their friends. We, you know, we, want, you know, we don't want to have to say difficult things to them, but that's all required. That's something that David was unable to do. So we see already that David is not the archetype of, of a parent or a father that we're, we're following after. He is he's someone that we see, just like many of us, someone who is imperfect, someone who fails. Um, and, and so in this relationship, we're kind of thinking like, well, what, what's happening here, right? And, and again, the, the authors of, of the Old Testament, there's always themes, there's things that are always being repeated. And, and we see that um, the Absalom character is very similar to a different character that we experienced before. So in 2 Samuel 14, 25, um, this is how Absalom is described. It says, now in all Israel, there is no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance than Absalom. 
From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of the year he used to cut it when it was too heavy on him, uh, it weighed the hair of his, uh, and weigh, he weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels by the king's weight. So there's two things that I want to acknowledge here. Number one, he's really studly. He's handsome, right? More handsome than anyone else in Israel. And number two, he has wonderful hair. Uh, when he cut his hair, it was 200 shekels is five pounds. He had five pounds of hair. You know, when I think about someone with really amazing hair, I think about uh, um, uh, John Stamos from Full House, right? Like when I was a kid and he'd always talk about his hair in Full House, I was like, well, who cares? And now I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, like he had wonderful hair, right? Uh, and, and this was very interesting because if you're reading Second Samuel and reading this about Absalom, especially the Old Testament readers, what they're going to be reminded of is King Saul. King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9, this is how the author describes him. And he had two, and a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulder upward, he was taller than any of the people. So two things. Number one, he was super handsome, right? And he's super tall. So again, um, not things that I can relate to, but if you, if you see Saul and if you see Absalom, there's a theme. And whenever the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, talks about someone's appearance, we have to pay special, you know, special attention to it because it's, it's, they're trying to connect something here. Think about, I mean, Jesus is never described in his physical form, right? But here, Absalom is described as someone who is very handsome, with a lot of hair, reminds us of King Saul, who is very handsome, very tall. Because the Bible is trying to tell us this theme of a man who is going to ultimately fail. A man who wanted to usurp his father, take for a, a position that did not belong to him, and would eventually die. Just as Saul was killed in battle, Absalom would also be killed in battle. And the way that Absalom is killed in battle is absolutely comical. He's riding on his donkey, running away. He doesn't look, and there's a, a branch on a tree, kind of like a fork, and his head gets stuck in that branch. And then now he's just dangling from a tree. Now, what does he do? He's like, help, help. You know what I mean? Like, that's like the most um, degrading thing that you can, th you know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to be a king, and now you're dangling from your head from a tree, and you're like, help, help. You know, like, let me down, let me down. Like, that's, that sucks, right? Uh, you know, have you ever been, when you pick up a little kid and you pick them like this and they're like dangling, you know, it's like they look so powerless, right? It's just like they, they, got, they have no control. You're just like, ha, ha, ha. And they're like, ah, let me down, you know? That's basically what was happening in Absalom. And then Joab the general goes, they, they throw a spear, they spear Absalom and he dies. Now, here's the heart of David. When, when David was talking to his generals, he said, hey, let me go into battle with you because I want to make sure that my son Absalom is okay. I want to make sure that Absalom does not die. I want to make sure that he remains alive and that we can bring him back. He did not, he wanted to spare Absalom. And yet Absalom hangs from a tree, is speared, and is killed. This is the heart of any father, that they would do, go to great lengths to save their children even a child that is wayward, even a child that is way, you know, past saving, they would do anything for them. And what we see in God the Father is something very drastically different. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, David wanted to do anything in his power to spare his own son, even at the expense of detriment to his kingdom and even to his own kingdom, right, and his own kingship. He wanted to save a son who was filled with sin, who was, who was out to get him, who was out to usurp him, who was in, living in disobedience to him. And here we have God the Father who would not even spare his own son, one who was without sin, one who lived in complete and perfect obedience to the Father. Because for him, he had a greater purpose to save all mankind for those that place their faith in Jesus. And in this, God the Father, what we understand and what we are experiencing and what we see is this unconditional love of a parent that we ourselves cannot fully realize in our sinful state. If God loves every single one of us so much that he would not spare his own son, how much more control and love does he have for our own children? How much more love and control does he have for, for, for our offspring? And it is that type of faith that we need to give unto God, knowing that he is the one who would not withhold anything from us, but graciously give us all things. Things sometimes that won't, won't even make sense. Things that will bring us pain and suffering. But we can trust in the sovereignty of God. Let's pray.